If you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, this being Pentecost Sunday, we're going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit. And this morning, it's going to be a very practical and biblical look at the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and in the lives of our church and the way that, that he moves in our church, the way that he works in our church, and the way that he moves in our lives and works in our lives. And I'm going to start out by saying something to my fellow Pentecostals that may seem to be a little bit controversial, but I beg you just to stay with me just for a moment. I want to say that I love the moving of the Holy Spirit. I love it when the waves of the Spirit just sweep a congregation. I love it when the Holy Spirit just convicts a heart so much that they run to the altar in repentance. I love it when things like that happen. I love it when people just can't even stand under the weight of the glory of God when he enters a church. I love that kind of a thing. But as Pentecostal Christians in, in some areas of, of Pentecost, we see sometimes that the Holy Spirit can be relegated almost to like a sideshow attraction in a carnival. And sometimes it seems like the pastor, instead of being the shepherd of the flock, turns into kind of a carnival barker where he's, he's going, you know, come, come see the Holy Spirit. Watch as he makes people bark like dogs. See his wonders as people fall on the floor and roll around. You know, watch them speak in new and interesting tongues and, and see all these amazing things that the Holy Spirit does. And if Pentecostals are guilty of anything, and one of the greatest uh, criticisms that the rest of, of Christendom le uh, levies against us, it's that we're only focused on the sensational side of the Holy Spirit's movings in our meetings, and, his, and we forget that his outpouring and the real reason that he is given, and we forget why or what his current function and ministry is among us. If you weren't here last week or, or you're visiting today, we're in the middle of a series dealing with the third part of our vision statement, which is serving our community. So today we're going to explore the question, why do we need the Holy Spirit's indwelling and covering to serve others? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. Lord God, I want to touch on a subject today that I want to tread very carefully in. And Father, and that is the Holy Spirit. Father God, just enable me to adequately, clearly, and decisively proclaim the truth about the third person of the Trinity, Lord. I want to give him the honor that he is due and speak the truth of who he is and what he means to us. So, Father, be with all of us, Lord, as we study the Holy Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we read John chapter 8, I want to lay down just a couple of foundational truths about the Holy Spirit. The first foundational truth I want to lay down is that the Holy Spirit is God. He is part of the Trinity. He is the very essence of God. And when we talk about the impartation of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God sharing with us in very, very intimate ways. 
If you remember when Jesus died, one of the things that happened, there was an earthquake, the sun became dark, and all these things. And one of the thing that happened in the temple, though, is that the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, which was the physical representation of, of the presence of God at his most intimate, that curtain that separated humanity from that was torn in two. So God revealed himself, because of what Jesus did, God was able to reveal himself in a very intimate way and show us exactly who it is. So when we are asking for the Holy Spirit's outpouring, when we are asking that, that the Holy Spirit move in a meeting, we are asking God to bear himself at his most intimate level, at a very spiritual level. You have heard uh, like a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend say things like, you know, that person is my soulmate or that person connects with me at a very spiritual level. And what does that mean? That means I am so intimately connected with that person that we feel like the same person sometimes. That is what God is doing when the Holy Spirit is falling, when the Holy Spirit is entering us at salvation or falling upon us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is God is coming into us in the most intimate way that he could possibly um, do at all. Period. He can't come into us and be more intimate than he can through the infilling and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that intimacy requires relationship. Just like in a relationship between a husband and a wife, that relationship has to be very, very closely guarded. You can't let other people into that relationship, can you? Because it's going to destroy the marriage. And that relationship with God is the same way. We can't ask God to bear himself, to come into us in an intimate way if we're out there, you know, being kind of a, a spiritual playboy or playgirls and messing around with other things and then come back to God and say, hey, come be intimate with me. I know I've been out here being intimate with all this other stuff, but then come out here and be intimate with me. I can tell you in my own marriage, if I was doing that, Tammy's going to say, no way. Right before she kicks me so hard, I land in Lake Michigan, back near Kenosha, right? I mean, we can't expect, we, won't, we would never ask our physical spouse, our, our spouse here on earth, to tolerate that thing, but we ask God to tolerate that kind of a thing with, the whole, with giving us the Holy Spirit. It's something that must be very treasured. It must be very valued in our life to protect that relationship. I want you to consider for a moment what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. You can see Jesus saying a lot of things about the Holy Spirit, John 13, 14, 15. He talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And he says something that is very interesting about that. He said, you know, you guys can say whatever you want about me. You'll be forgiven. It's fine. You'll be forgiven. You can say whatever you want about God. You can even use his name as a cuss word. You'll be forgiven. Don't touch the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't go there. Because it's God at his most intimate. It's kind of like a, if, if you're a man and somebody comes up and says, you know, I hate you, you're an idiot, and you're this and you're that, and bleep, 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 and all, and all that kind of stuff. Say that about my wife once and see what, you know, I'll take it, I'll let whatever, loser, go away. Say that about my wife. It's the same kind of thing with God. 
The Holy Spirit is such an intimate portion of him that when you commit that kind of blasphemy, when you insult the Holy Spirit, that he said that sin will never be forgiven. And before you freak out and you start thinking, have I ever committed that sin? I would say if you're worried about that, then no. You've never actually committed that sin. If you didn't care, then I would be worried about you. This principle is seen throughout the Bible. You think that this is just a New Testament thing. This is not just a New Testament thing. This was seen in the Old Testament. You remember the story about Uzziah when, he's, when David decides that he finally takes Jerusalem in 2 Samuel and becomes king over all of Israel. And he decides that he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And that was the physical representation of the Holy Spirit being among the people. And it was prescribed that you would never, ever touch this. See, God couldn't be intimate with the Holy Spirit like he is now because Jesus had not died yet. So this was just a physical representation. And they said, no one can touch this ark except for once a year where the high priest would go in and make, make the sacrifice. And if whenever you had to take this ark and move it around, you had to put poles in it that were, would keep you probably like about you know, 10 feet away from it, and people would have to carry this thing. Well, David decided to put this thing on an ark, or excuse me, a cart. And they're walking along with the cart, the oxen stumbles, and one of his helpers reaches out and tries to, and touches the ark and is struck immediately dead because his sin came in contact with God's holiness and immediately killed him. So this idea of, of treasuring the Holy Spirit, of treating him as the most intimate part of God, is seen throughout the entire scripture. I use that just as an example from the Old Testament. As Christians who believe in the Trinity, we have to stop for a moment and realize that we often think of the Holy Spirit as an essence. We think about him as a wave. We think about him as, as different ways of moving through the congregation and, and wind and, and just different ways of describing him. But we have to remember the Holy Spirit is a person. It is an individual member of the Godhead. And if you have an intimate friend and all you talk about is what he or she does, that diminishes them, doesn't it? If I say, I, I know Dave over there, and Dave's a great firefighter, what does that tell you about him? Simply that he's a firefighter. Not that he's a loving family man, not that he's a great father, not that he's, you know, you diminish him when you just pigeonhole him into one thing. And that's not what the Holy Spirit wants to be. The Holy Spirit, as that member of the Godhead, wants to be so intimate with you that you see the entirety of God instead of just seeing him for what he does. See, we need to move past what the Holy Spirit does and discover who he is. And who is he? He is as much almighty God as God the Father. He is as much almighty God as Jesus the Christ. And he is God at his most intimate. He's a God that loved you so much that he died for you so that you can be with him for eternity. And when we get that, that good grasp of the Holy Spirit, and when we realize all of this, and that as Christians, if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you are living in obedience to him, then he, the Holy Spirit has actually taken up residence with you. And when we understand this, we will then see as God sees. We will have his eyes and his heart for people. And that brings us to John chapter 8 right now. 
Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in an act of adultery, and the law of Moses commands us stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to him, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this time, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Remember that Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit when he got, when he got um, baptized, physically baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And because of the Holy Spirit within, living within him, Jesus didn't see an adulteress. He didn't see a woman cheating on her husband. He didn't see this. He saw a person. Let me give you an example. It's very important that we start seeing people and not sins because it's important in dealing with people both inside the church and people outside the church. Several years ago, I worked for Aurora Health Systems and one of their hospitals is in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. I was working in the ER and it's toward the end of my shift. It had been a rough shift. We just had just a lot of patients and a lot of very sick patients, very injured patients and and I was just tired, I want to go home, and right before I go home, uh, one of the local rescue squads brings in a person um, that was an overdose on heroin. He was a well-known in the community as being a heroin addict, and he came in, and he was unconscious when they got there, and EMS, when they gave him the antidote for heroin, and if you give too much of it too fast, what it does is it blocks all the heroin or all the opiate receptors in the body, which is what the heroin uses to make you high. And when you do that, you put them in an instant withdrawal. And heroin withdrawal is probably one of the most painful things a person can go through, both psychologically and physically. So this person comes in and he's kicking, he's screaming, he's spitting, he's scratching, he's punching, he's, you know, he just, he's, he's out of control, he's in so much pain. And as we're holding him down, as we're trying to get him sedated, I, was, I actually had kind of my forearm across his chest, and he's spitting at me and everything. And, and I'm just, you know, I'm tired, and I'm frustrated, and I'm like, come on, I just wanted to go home, and now I'm dealing with this guy. And he's like, you know, let me go, you bleepity bleep bleep, you ep bleep 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 bleep, and all this kind of stuff. And I, didn't, I just had that kind of thing rise up in me where I just wanted to grab him and shake him and say, dummy, you did this to yourself. What are you yelling and screaming at me for? And as soon as I thought that, the Holy Spirit kind of gave me a boom, kick right in the rear end. 
and said, yeah, I'll remember that next time you come to me and uh, with guilt over something that you did for the 1,000th time, I'll remember that. And I just, you know, the Holy Spirit just speaks to you sometimes. It just breaks you and just kind of does that little slap upside the head that you need at that time. And I remembered I looked upon this guy with new eyes at that point. And I saw behind the rage and I saw behind the pain and I saw through his eyes to seeing that hurt person, that person that so desperately wanted God to try to fill that hole in his heart. Instead, he was using drugs. He was using, you know, different kinds of sin and, and different things like that to try to fill that hole in his heart. And it just, it made me start interceding for him. It made me start... Um, I'm seeing him for who he was, just somebody that was under so much demonic oppression and, and deception that it just made me just start praying for him and, and, and not want to, like, you know, try to hurt him or anything because, you know, you, you don't deliberately try to hurt somebody, but, you know, sometimes you have to use a little bit of pain to, to get people to um, understand. And it just made me have a heart for him as Jesus did. And you see, this is how Jesus could look at this woman and not see that, you know, 10 minutes before, she's in the throes of passion with some guy, shaking her fist at God, saying, I'm going to do it because I want to do it. I'm going to do it because it makes me feel good. He didn't see the rebellion. He didn't see the sexual sin. He didn't see the adultery. He didn't see any of this stuff. He saw a woman that was hurting. He saw a woman that was desperately desperately trying to make herself feel whole with a man, with another man, instead of with God. Likewise, only, only when we allow the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and actions and our reactions to things, can we see even the worst of humanity as God sees them. Lost, frightened, and desperate for something they don't even know what they're looking for half the time. And we have the answer for that. And that is how you love the unlovable. You know, I've shared in the past that, you know, we see people like ISIS and them cutting the heads off of Christians and, and just doing just awful things to people. And we think, you know, why, does, why don't we carpet bomb these guys back into the Stone Age? And why don't, we, why don't we just send special forces in there and kill everybody? They're the same as this woman. They're the same as that heroin addict. They're desperately trying to follow something, and they're just blinded to the reality of Jesus Christ through a false religion. And I'm not saying that it may not come down to a military solution, but how much better would it be if we took all that fervor they have and all that, that dedication to a cause that would cause them to strap a bomb to themselves, to kill themselves for their God? What if we could harness that and turn them around and make them believe in Jesus instead? Wouldn't that be better? Instead of filling up hell a little bit more, how about have to put on an addition in heaven? How about instead of 15,000-mile cube, we can make a 16,000-mile cube? Wouldn't that be better if we could win some souls to Jesus, if we would pray for them and say, God, just remove the blinders from them? This is how we can have a heart to pray for people who mistreat you or even try to harm you. 
It enables you to see past their vindictive actions. It helps you to see past the hurtful words. It helps them to, to see past all of those things that makes you just want to like grab them by the throat and punch them in the nose. It just helps you to see past all that and see with God's eyes a person that is desperate for the love of God. A person that is desperate to have Christ in their lives. And they're only reacting like this because they don't have that. Having the Holy Spirit impartation, having the Holy Spirit living within us, both through the infilling that happens in salvation and the baptism that happens as we continue to pray for him and, and pray for each other. If we have that, it enables us to live dead. What does that mean? That means that if, I, if we, have a, if we had a, a dead person sitting here and I walked up and I kick him in the knee, what's going to happen? Nothing. They're dead. They're not feeling anything. I walk up and poke them. Nothing's going to happen. If I walk up and scream and cuss and, and carry on and, and, and call them every name in a book, what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. Because they're dead. When we talk about living dead, we're talking about living dead to our own rights, to our own emotions, to our own needs and all of that kind of stuff so that somebody can walk up and spit in their face and you're not going to automatically respond because we are we find ourselves so dead to ourselves so dead to our own passion so dead to our rights christians talk about oh these are our rights all the time your right is to die you're supposed to be dead dead people have no rights do they dead person has no rights if we are born again that means we died and now we're alive in Christ, and it's his life. So if they spit in your face, they're not spitting in your face, they're spitting in Jesus' face. Let him deal with it. Your job is to love them. If they revile you and call you all kinds of names, call you Jesus freak, Bible thumper, some, you know, living in the Stone Age, whatever they're going to say about you, it's not going to matter. Because they're not insulting you, they're insulting the person who lives within you if you are dead to yourself and you don't automatically come back and retaliate. That's how we live those beatitudes that we studied when I first came here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. That's how we live that is by the Holy Spirit living within us that we can live dead and react in those kind of ways. And by the Holy Spirit, when we see as Jesus sees, we act as Jesus acted. You know, in John 14, Jesus makes a very intriguing statement and one I never really understood until I sat down and think, thought about it. He told his disciples that you will do greater works than I have. Think about that for a minute. I mean, this is a guy that walked on water. This is a guy that, that healed the unhealable. Leprosy. Leprosy was, was unhealable. You were leprosy, that was a death sentence. He healed him all the time. He healed the unhealable. He fed somebody off of a little lunch. You know those little Lunchables you see in the grocery store? It's pretty much he fed 5,000 people of that thing. He did that. 
He changed hearts. He taught his disciples. And then he died for our sins. So how can we possibly do greater works than that? And then I thought about it. You know, Jesus probably healed a few hundred people in his lifetime. But how many hospitals have been founded in the name of Christ? How many diseases have been healed by Christian scientists and Christian physicians? How many? Millions? Millions? Billions? Jesus fed a few thousand. How many people today are being fed in his name? A few weeks ago, we learned about 25,000 a day in just Calcutta, India. How many millions of people would be fed today in the name of Jesus? Jesus intimately discipled 12 people and broadly probably discipled about another 100 of the crowd that used to follow him around. But how many churches today are meeting on Pentecost Sunday to disciple believers? Jesus performed many miraculous works. How many missionaries, or even you and me, have prayed for people and seen a miracle happen? Up to and including, most importantly, the miracle of salvation. If Jesus died, or Jesus died to save us from our sin, to save us from an eternal hell, how many Christians have died trying to save the unsavable? We can do that. We do greater works in his name. And how many Christians yielded to the Holy Spirit will share the gospel today and lead people into that miracle of salvation? And you know what? We can't do anything like this on our own. None of this can be done without the Holy Spirit living within us. And that is why we need that impartation of the Holy Spirit at salvation. That's why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to serve this community. That is why that baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important. That is why we focus so much on it in this church, why we focus so much of it in the Assemblies of God, is because we understand that we need that power. We need the almighty power of God himself living in us to do his work. Because if it's not done by his power, if it's not done according to his will, if it's not done for his glory, then it doesn't matter. It will not matter, and it will not survive. Hi, Pastor John here. I hope and pray that you are blessed by listening to the Word of God being preached today at Whitehall Assembly of God in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. If you'd like more information about us, you can go to our website at www.whitehallassembly.org. Or if you have a question about the sermon, you can email me at pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and God richly bless you as you continue to grow and serve him.